Lord's Day 48 and 49. Let's read these questions and answers responsibly. What does the second petition mean? Your kingdom come means rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until your kingdom fully comes, when you will be all in all. Question 124. What does the third petition mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means. Help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any backtalk to obey your will. For it alone is good. Help everyone carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Amen. Let's go to the Lord now and ask that the Spirit would open up to us and apply to us the doctrines of our holy faith. Almighty and everlasting God, our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us, though we are sinners, conceived and born in sin, to repent of our sins. For we seek your grace to help us in our remaining weakness. And now, Father, through the teaching of your word, which we confess with the church throughout the ages, we pray that you would satisfy our hunger and quench our thirst with your refreshing truth, that we with all our hearts may love and serve you with our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the one and only true God who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer is both a prayer in and of itself, and it is also the perfect model prayer. That's what we began to look at last week as we opened up the various parts, the particular parts of this prayer that Jesus himself taught us. And what we learn, and what I hope will become clear as we continue to dig into the various parts of the Lord's Prayer, is that through it, Jesus teaches us how to offer up to God everything we need for body and soul. It shows us how to prioritize the right things in our prayer and the kinds of things that ought to guide us as we lift up our souls to Almighty God. In the prayer's middle section, there are six requests or appeals that are made, and we call them petitions. And today we are looking together at the second and the third petitions, Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's look at each one of these tonight with the expressed goal that we're not merely learning about prayer, but that we are actually being equipped to pray. So let us commit together to use what we learn as we're analyzing the Lord's Prayer, not leave it by the wayside afterwards, having convinced ourselves, well, we've thought about it. Now let's actually do it. First tonight, this second petition of thy kingdom come is asking for the fullness of the kingdom. It is asking for the fullness of the kingdom. As Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate in John 18, he said that his kingdom is not of this world. 
In other words, it's a kingdom that originates in heaven. It doesn't find its source here on earth among our earthly ways of doing government business and kingdom building. It is a kingdom that originates in heaven. And this kingdom is a reality now because Christ is reigning now. But it has also only begun to be experienced in this world and in this age. So we have a both and. We have an already and a not yet. The both and is that Jesus is reigning now, and yet we also don't experience it fully. So it has not come in its fullness. We have an already in that Jesus has ascended as the reigning king. He is now putting his enemies under his feet. That's happening as the gospel goes forth. Jesus is subduing his enemies. And yet, there are still enemies to be subdued. And so in this world and in this age, we have to learn to pray to God, let your kingdom come. When we pray that, Jesus is bringing us into the great drama of redemption as players on the stage. Here's what I mean by this. God will bring his consummated kingdom when he's good and ready. But he uses us and he uses our prayers to begin to do it in this age. How does this work that God is sovereign and yet also commands us to pray and uses our prayers? I don't know. But he does it. So our prayers are not arbitrary and useless. They actually accomplish something. Our prayers don't move God. They change us. They move us. And yet there is this perfect harmony between God's will being done and our prayers being taken up to God and used for the bringing about of his purposes. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, Christ from heaven is bringing his kingdom and he will one day answer this prayer by bringing it completely, fully consummated in all of its glory. The catechism helps us discern three main things that we're praying for in this second petition. The first is that God would rule us by his word and spirit. In the kingdom of God, sinners don't rebel against their king anymore. So, because we are still in rebellion, even as believers against our king, we need to pray that Christ in heaven would bring his sovereign rule to bear upon us. How does Christ who is in heaven, do that here on earth through his word and by his Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will be with you always. And then he left. So how is it that he is with us? He's with us by his spirit. And when we open the word of God, the spirit promises to do something with it. His word will not return void. And when we open the word of God together, we are taught how to come into submission to the rule of Jesus Christ. So, for instance, we read in Psalm 143 earlier, verse 10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Where do we find the will of God? In the Word of God. The psalmist goes on and says, Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. How is it that we can walk on level ground? Which, which is a metaphor here for the path of righteousness. 
Not turning to the left or the right, not going up and down, but on level ground into the kingdom of God. How do we walk on that path? Only by God's good spirit. Christ rules us from heaven by his word and by his spirit. So whenever you pray, thy kingdom come, you are asking God that those times when you open his word, especially when we gather for worship, and when you call on his spirit, he would shape you more into Christ and cause you to bow the knee with total submission and total willingness. So we ask for the Lord to rule us. We want him to rule us. He is our king and he is a good king. We are also asking him in this petition to preserve and increase the church. The Psalms teach us how to do this as well. The Psalms are often teaching us to cry out, O Lord, preserve us, preserve my life. Or Psalm 122, for instance, says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That is a prayer that is applied to the church now in this age. We pray for peace in this new Jerusalem. We pray for peace in this outpost of the kingdom of God that is called the church. That we would not have dissension, rivalry. We would not have selfish ambition tear us apart. We pray for peace. That Christ, through his word, and spirit would preserve us. And positively, we're asking him, as he preserves, to also increase the church. We want God to convert those who don't believe. And we don't do it. The Holy Spirit does it. Now, he uses us to do it, of course. But it is God, the Holy Spirit, who turns those who are dead in their sins through his powerful word. We ask him to increase the church by maturing us as believers that we might be presented mature on the great day of the Lord. We ask him to increase the church by making church leaders faithful to Christ in the giving of sound and healthy doctrine and not turning away from the confession and turning away from our first love. And we pray this with the confidence that even the gates of Hades will not prevail over the church of Jesus Christ. So we pray it with confidence. We're not wondering, well, is he going to actually preserve the church? No, he will. He will. Even in the darkest times, there's always a remnant preserved for Christ. A third thing we're asking for in this petition, when we say thy kingdom come, is the destruction of God's enemies. The destruction of his enemies. Do not allow contemporary views of politeness rob you of praying like this. We are commanded to pray this. Jesus commands you to pray this way. The Prince of Peace commands you to pray this way. And if you find people making awful arguments that, well, praying that way is from the Old Testament. God was more angry. Jesus tells us only to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. They botched it. They botched it if, you have, if somebody says that to you. John tells us plainly in his letter, he says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, he came for other reasons, but that's one of the explicit reasons why he came. He came to wreak havoc in the kingdom of darkness and to overturn all the damage done 
by the devil himself, and that in the end all the works of the devil would be destroyed. But you see, brothers and sisters, we now in this age, we see and we experience Christ's victory only in a partial way. We don't experience the full victory that Christ has won for us yet. Do you still sin? Then you're not yet experiencing the full victory of Jesus Christ. That is a future blessing. And so we must pray for Christ to destroy his enemies in this age and especially in the age to come. There are still persecutors. There are still false teachers. There are still beast-like political powers and anti-Christian strongholds. They're here in this world and they will be until finally they're thrown into the lake of fire. That's the teaching of Revelation. And so we are to pray both for the salvation of our enemies in this age, that God would do it now while it is still called today, and also we pray for the just destruction of of all those who, in the end, refuse to bow to King Jesus. Learn to pray, brothers and sisters, without blushing, the way that Psalm 143 teaches us to, like in verse 12, where it says, You will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my my soul. Let your kingdom fully come is the prayer in which we ask God to rule, preserve, and destroy. One little line. It's not even a full full sentence in this prayer. We're asking him to do a lot, and he will. He will do it. And that he would do these things until his kingdom fully comes. Secondly, in the third petition, we ask... Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask for the perfection of God's will. So we ask for the fullness of his kingdom and we ask for the perfection of his will. In other words, we're asking for God to bring about what he wants, as is already the case in heaven among the angels. Those angels who did not fall with the devil are in heaven and they're not corrupted by sin and they always do the bidding of God. So in heaven, God's will is not only a desire but a reality all the time and what we're praying in this prayer is for that to be the case here on earth. And there are two main things that we're asking God to help us do when we ask this prayer. There's something that we are to renounce and then there's something that we are to carry out. We ask him first to help us renounce our own wills. It's a tough statement, but that's what you ask for every week when you pray the Lord's Prayer. Now you know. You're asking that God would help you to renounce your own will. Our will refers to our desires and our decisions. And we're asking God to help us to turn our backs on those things, to renounce them. Now, is everything that you desire bad? No. No. But Scripture teaches that our wills are nevertheless corrupted by sin. 
So even when we desire a good thing, our sins latch on to that desire and twist it. We've said uh, in previous weeks, perhaps last week, that James says you don't have because you don't ask. And when you ask, you you don't receive it because you ask so that you would spend it on your passions. You don't ask rightly. And it's for this reason that Paul, therefore, depicts our service to God as a sacrifice. Walking with God, obeying God, doing His will is a sacrifice. Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It is holy and it is pleasing, but it is still a sacrifice. The outworking of God's perfect will here on earth means at the same time, that you deny yourself and that you embrace God's will. And this is the basic shape of the Christian life. This is the basic shape of the Christian life. It doesn't get any more foundational than this. This is what Jesus says all followers must do. If you want to come after me, Jesus says, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. Otherwise, you're not worthy of me, he says. You cannot call yourself a disciple of Christ in any meaningful way and reject this call of self-denial and of giving up our whole selves as a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. That's the basic shape of the Christian life, powerfully demonstrated by Jesus himself. Think of it, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And he hasn't done this just as like a good example. It is a good example, of course. But in doing this, it is the chief act of self-denial. There is nothing else that comes close to what Christ has done but the denial of his own human will in order to do the will of God. And by this chief act of self-denial, Jesus Christ has won you access into the throne of grace and to the divine help to put to death your old self and to make alive the new. He has won that privilege for you. You don't have it otherwise. It has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. So we are asking him to help us renounce our wills. But another task we're asking God to help us with is to carry out our callings, the more positive end of the spectrum. I hope you find this particular request in the Lord's Prayer very comforting. One of the great recoveries of the Reformation was to get rid of the idea that priests and monks and nuns and so forth had callings, but everyone else was stuck with stacking hay and raising pigs and making shoes and, you know, that's what you guys get to do, but we have callings as the priesthood and the the clergy and so forth. No, what the, what the Reformation recovered for us was the biblical teaching that everyone is called by God to glorify God and to serve their neighbors. And when we pray for God's desires to be done instead of our own, we are asking for God to equip us to do our daily work faithfully, whatever that work is. As ordinary as it is, It is to be offered up to the Lord, as we were just looking at this morning in Psalm 90. 
Why is that? Why are we to offer up on this positive end of the spectrum, not only the renunciation of our wills, but now the positive offering up of our calling, our very vocation and our daily life to God? Why? Paul tells us. He only says, Paul only tells us that we have to offer our bodies as a sacrifice only after he has first said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's the ground and the foundation of you renouncing your will and offering up your whole self to God. You have been shown mercy. So may your daily prayers be to give you a willing and submissive heart that you would renounce your will and do the will of God in your calling. But especially, brothers and sisters, may these reflections on the kingdom and will of God draw you into the wonder of prayer. I close tonight with a description of prayer by one of our, our old and great kind of unknown theologians. Here's a, a name for you to just uh, put in the back of your mind for future children. Kimpigius Vitringa, one of our old Dutch theologians. Here's what he said in the early 1700s. He said, prayer is that most holy exercise by which the godly soul joins itself to God, ascends to God as by stairs to heaven itself, and as from a flowing stream draws for itself divine grace. Surely there is no more glorious exercise for a man who is mortal, ashes and dust, a sinner from the womb, than to dare appear before the very throne of God on the basis of the divine grace that is offered to him in Christ Jesus by the merit of his obedience and the support of his intercession. Brothers and sisters, what a privilege it is to bring our requests to God, offering up ourselves to him, asking that he provide for all that we need in body and soul, that his kingdom would fully come and that his will would be perfectly done. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful Father, we pray now that you would continue to establish us, your saints, in our most holy faith, not only on this day, but throughout our lives. Give us the grace, Father, to inwardly digest the food you have given to us and to instruct our children in your knowledge and fear until they have reached complete maturity. All of this we ask in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.